Welcome back to God's the Ghost Volleyball and your host, Scott Bemke. Today's podcast features our sixth and final part of our interview with UCLA men's volleyball coach, Al Skates. Enjoy the conclusion. Thanks for tuning in and listening to it. I got to tell you one thing that happened with <laughs> Bernie Hicks. This was amazing. I had this Brazilian high school kid come in to play for me named Carlos Fonseca. Carlos's dad was an airline uh, pilot, and he could get him here and take him back home for nothing. So that was cool. Carlos was set up. I didn't have a full ride for him. And uh, so over at SC, the next thing I know, uh, Ernie Hicks is recruiting him to set for Celso Kalachi. He's, re- he's recruited a guy who was in the Olympics already, already went to college in Brazil and was on the best club team in Brazil. So Celso Calacci's coming and he needed Fonseca. So all of a sudden Fonseca comes to my office and and he was actually crying. He said, coach, I I gotta go to SC. I'm getting a full ride. My dad wants me to go. You know, I'm going. Well, they weren't even given full rides then. (laughs) I don't think. At SC, I'm not sure. Anyway, Kalasi, Kalachi comes, and he's not very tall, but boy, is he good. Left-hander experience. So that's that's what Ernie did. He could recruit lights out. I heard that uh, that guy was just phenomenal. I think Mike Moss, who was a phenomenal defensive player at Santa Barbara, said uh, he played against, uh, I can't pronounce his name, so I'm not going to. Kalachi. Kalachi, he said that guy just could hit the ball wherever he wanted to on that court. He was a, another worldly talent. Yeah, well, he, he was. There's no question about it. And uh, I coached Chuck Steakhouse. We won some uh, USA Open championships. And I know he was on at least one of my teams that won. Yeah, he was he was terrific. Real nice guy. I, I When I was broadcasting, I usually saw him at... Uh, at USC when I, I did uh, UCLA-USC men's uh, volleyball. He's still around. He still looks good. good. Looks like he can still play. <laughs> I believe it. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, where are we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, once we get talking about your acting career, we uh, we got oh, off track right. here. I <laughs> uh, was short and sweet. I, <laughs> I, I did a lot of videos. For, for volleyball. And books. And You've got day. a ton of them out there, too, don't you? Yeah, the first one was for the Vaveline Sports. I, I was in a committee with Coach Wooden and some other people representing the sport of volleyball. And I got together some, like, Karch Karai, Toyota, and um, Green. 
Olympic setter, Debbie Green. And uh, so we had him go through the motions of what they do. And, you know, Toyota digging and stuff, carts, everything, Debbie setting. And uh, they did it for free, just like I did, for the sport of volleyball. And uh, Valerie made 10,000 copies and sent them to high schools. All I did is put a little uh, oil advertisement on the back of it and uh, sent it to these high schools for free. That was the first run they made, 10,000 copies. I don't know how many they made altogether. Good stuff. Moving along here uh, to uh, your coaching career, I mean, the, the numbers are astounding. I mean, there's nobody even in the same neighborhood, let alone the, the same galaxy that has 19, you know, nationals uh, over their career. I mean, you, you had a 50-year coaching career, and to have won 19 titles is uh, just mind-blowing. So I'd like to hear, um, in your own words, what made you far and away the most successful collegiate volleyball coach, and for that matter, one of the most successful coaches in any sport, amateur or professional, ever. Um, you know, so what were some of the things that were your main coaching principles? What were the keys to your coaching success? Uh, you know, with all the changes in the game and everything else, you were always a, a step ahead. So in your own words, Coach Skates, what made you uh, an icon in the world of coaching? Well, I, I, when I started coaching, I, I loved volleyball and I coached for free and I enjoyed it. And, uh, I, I thought everybody that came to play volleyball should enjoy playing volleyball. So I never I never harped on every, any mistakes. I, I just tried to be positive and, and to tell them how to do things right. And uh, if a player made a mistake on the court, he knew he made a mistake. There's no use talking about it. Let's just move on and tell them what they're going to do next the next thing we're going to do and how we're going to do it uh, or what I think the opponent is going to do. I think the opponent's going to serve to area five. If we get a good pass, I think they're going to be looking for a left-sided attacker. What we're going to do is we're going to set a quick set to so-and-so if it's a good pass. And, or whatever, whatever. And so... We're serving them usually because usually they took a timeout. The opponent would take a timeout. And then I'd tell them who I think they're going to serve if they get a good pass and where that guy's going to hit it. And so I make sure our defense is set up correctly. Uh, for me, remember, I was, I was teaching full-time until I could afford to be a, a full-time volleyball coach, which didn't happen until 1997. So it was... It was never a life or death performance, me me coaching. I mean, I had other things to do besides coach. I had family, <laughs> owned and operated volleyball camps. I, I did other stuff. I wrote, wrote 10 books. So, I mean, I didn't have to, I wasn't uptight, you know? I laughed every day in practice. My players laughed. We had a good time. I, <laughs> it, it's, it's, it wasn't that serious to me until I got in the match and against a tough opponent. But still, you had to keep the players loose. You know, you had to come in smiling, confident. 
the players believed you, you could tell them anything and it would work. And they did believe me and it usually worked. But you, you just, you could like you were nervous or upset about anything. They had to believe that you were calm and no matter what I, I felt like inside, I never looked like I was worried about anything. After I, after coaching for a couple of years and getting all uptight about it uh, and going into the UCLA hospital because I thought I had an ulcer, I changed everything and learned to be calm, learned to think ahead. So that was one thing. Now, when the players were playing on the court, other than having a, a joke or two to loosen them up, I wasn't friends with them until their eligibility was over. And now, you know, some of my former players are some of my best friends. I mean, my captain of 76, Denny Klein. I, I just uh, sent him a, a picture of Klein wines. and <laughs> said, we just opened this last night about you. And uh, <laughs> so he went back, hey, we haven't had dinner for a while. So now we're going to, you know, we'll get together again. And, you know. A lot of them, I kept in touch with Sinjin for years, and one of my other captains, Tom Stillwell, he's in Denmark right now, but he's, he's a, where is he? You know, he's in Amsterdam, yeah, Amsterdam. I mean, we stay good friends with a lot of people. And uh, I want to, another thing, I want all my drills to be really competitive. I want somebody to win, somebody to lose every time. I never actually, outside of a publicity shot, I never got on a stand and hit balls at anybody or, or did something that was not game-like. I, everything started with some kind of ball that we'd throw out there randomly or serve. Everything was game-like. I didn't believe in repetition and block practices. You only did one skill because that never happened. Now, when I taught fourth grade kids, that was different. Then I might do a little toss and set drill. But by the time they came to me, they, they'd learned that stuff already. Uh, and unless they learned some techniques really, would never have to really break it down like that. Anyway, um, so there's a winner and a loser. So if the first team's not well, they're replaced with second team players. And if the second team player's performing well, we replace them with people from behind the blue cur curtain. That's it. I mean, there's no, there's no motivation. I don't ever have to motivate the players. They just know. They know I'm going to do it fairly. And if they're not playing well, they're going down. And that's it. They know that. And I don't care. I mean, I like some players better than others, sure. But they didn't. I hope they know that. Because I never... Uh, became friends with any of them while they were on the team. So um, there was only one rule for players. Don't do anything to embarrass the team or UCLA. Now I had to write rules for the senior associate athletic director. So I'd write a bunch of bogus rules for our annual meeting. Don't, she always wanted to look at the team rules. Okay, here's the team rules. Here's my bogus team rules. <laughs> yeah, and then I'd put them in the file and then the next year, I'd change the date. <laughs> I'd change the date 
saw those rules. They only knew one rule. And by only having one rule, then I could enforce that rule any time, way I wanted to. I mean, the biggest punishment was actually kicking a player out of the gym. And, and I, I only recall that happening once. I sent a player down from the first court to the second court and coach told me he wasn't performing well there, so I came over and kicked him out of the gym till the next day. And then he had to work his way back. And he did, and he started on a championship team in the NCAA Finals. But I don't recall ever doing that to anybody else, but it, I, I would have if it was called for, for sure. Um, and I was never hes hesitant to make a substitution if I thought I should. And uh, <laughs> I, to I told you the story already. I, I learned to do that on my Pee Wee baseball team when I bought in that big left-handed kid who played first base. And he had never through. pitched, and he struck out that side for you? And... Yeah. That was and he classic. was petrified. <laughs> he was 10 years old. He never pitched. He didn't want to pitch. <laughs> but I knew he had a good arm. And he was big and scary to those little kids. So anyway, after that, I just kept doing stuff like that. And uh, I mean, it was easy to bring somebody in like Danny Farmer, who, who was a backup middle blocker. You know, when I did that against Lewis in the NCAA Finals, that was easy. He got 17 straight kills, but I'd seen him do it before. I had to bench my captain and leading NCAA blocker, Tom Stilwell, but you know, I knew Danny would do it. But when you do it for the first time, that's 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 the test in, in a stressful situation. So that, that's, the, that's the test. But anyway, you have to do that. I've seen coaches lead people in who are, who are dying out there, but because they did something well before, they got to stay in. I took out my best player, Paul Neapoli, four times in the NCAA Finals. Benched him four sets. Put him back in the set, fifth set, and he won it for us. But you, you gotta pull a trigger. You, you just, if somebody did something to you once, and he's playing badly, get rid of him for that match or that set. So, uh, let's see. Drills have to be game-like. Uh, if players are showing lack of effort, move them down. When I moved Sinjin Smith down for not going for a ball his freshman year, I kept him behind the curtain for two weeks because I didn't have anybody to send down for two weeks in his position. He was an outside hitter at the time. And was he a freshman then? Was that me. when he was a, his freshman year? Yeah, yeah. He started out as an outside hitter. And uh, I needed a setter, so so he became a setter. I mean, the setter got to hit anyway. Yeah, he ran, ran that six-two offense, sir. Yeah, so he was, uh, and he could pass. He could just back up and pass when he was in the front row. So he, he got to use all his skills, and his leadership was amazing. So anyway, uh, let's see. Oh, most important one, <laughs> and Karch. Karch said, Karch said, the key to Al's success is, one time he said, is he's got a bunch of players out there just like me. We all hate to lose. 
<laughs> so that's what I look for. I didn't want anybody passing out cookies their mommy made after we lost the match. I just, you know, I I remember Karch losing in uh, 1980 to SC. And he came off, he kicked the chair, he punted the ball into the keg lights for, for, the, t for the t television, and a mini cam was rushing over to get, a, get him on, on TV, and I grabbed him and sat him down. But <laughs> that's the way I felt, too. But he handles it a little better now. But <laughs> that's the kind of player I wanted, who felt that emotion. Those guys would play hard. Those guys would play real hard. Spit nails. Then, you know, sometimes we made a mistake. You know, sometimes we got a guy in that wasn't that way, and they never became our best players. But I, I liked a player. I didn't. You know, I, I, I recruited a player from any team, a bad team. But why were they in there? Why were they competitive? Who was that guy? I recruited Eric Sullivan one time. John Adams Junior High School. He was an undersized middle blocker. And I says, why is that team even close? They don't have any talent. And then I started wa watching Eric, and he was the reason. He, he, he hated the Blues. He just hated the Blues. Came on the barrel on USA Volleyball for several Olympics. I was an assistant coach, associate coach at Texas Swim. That's about Rapsit. I can't think of anything else. I, I never wrote anything down. Our, you know, I didn't have the, the pyramid <laughs> or anything. I like Coach, Coach Wooden does. I, I have it hanging here in my in my den, but <laughs> I I didn't follow it. I just I don't know, just evolved. My the way I did things just evolved. Started out with just having a good time. Let's have some fun. Let's play some volleyball. I, I look forward to going to practice every every time when I was a player. I want my guys to do the same thing. It was practice were only grueling when I got to the USA team. I did a lot of stupid stuff that didn't relate to volleyball, like run a three-minute mile and do a bunch of back bends that hurt my back and stuff and hopped around cones and did stuff that didn't make any sense to me. <laughs> I didn't want that to happen in my gym. Yeah, I've heard those stories that good old Harry Wilson, uh, just every mistake oh, you could... No, it didn't come with Harry. With Harry, he just warmed up and he asked Ralph Ingen to make the teams and and then you scrimmage. That, that was the practice there. <laughs> what are you up to nowadays, Al? Um, what uh what's how's retirement treating you do you have a family what are your hobbies um sounds like you well, golf a bit but uh for those who want to know what happened after you retired in in 2012 what's been going on with you al well i retired and, and uh i i gave it all i had that last year we went 22 and 7 and uh unfortunately we ran into uc irvine and john Spira at Irvine in the playoffs and they beat us and went on to win the NCAA but I really had a good team and the boys worked hard and I I didn't play any golf that year I 
I scheduled morning practices and stayed in the office the whole time. And, um, oh, you know the other thing I did? I, I, I left out. I ran stats. Getting back to the last question, I always had better stats than the other teams. And uh, I was always changing them. And I, I wrote 10 books on volleyball, and I would put the stats in there, but by the time the book was published, I was on to more, uh, different stats. But I, I always gave them my up-to-date stuff, but it was already dated by the time they read it. And, and uh, I got Eric Daly away from the national team, and he graduated from M MIT, and I had him make me stat programs. And uh, I didn't I didn't share these programs. I didn't sell them. They were just for me. I wanted I wanted to know you know points for for rotation or or anything. He would develop a program for me. And in return, I, I he got into the math department at UCLA. Got a master's there. And then uh, to keep him in school, I I, I was a faculty member from uh, the business school. He he got his M MBA in business. And then to keep him aboard, I, I got him a job with a distance learning program. But I couldn't keep him forever. He was too damn smart. He was vice president. I don't know if he's vice president of Sony by now, but last thing I know, he was forecasting advertising dollars for Sony Entertainment uh, and all over the world, where to put their money for advertising and products and stuff. So, uh, he was the key to keeping ahead of everybody else. And then finally the Italians started selling a statistical program to everybody. And I looked into it when I was uh, advising USA Volleyball. They pretty much had everything we did by that point. So I, I lost that advantage eventually. Okay, what am I doing lately? <laughs> Let's see. Um, so I retired, I was only 72. I'd worked every day in my life since I was, I had at least two jobs since I was 15, working as a cashier in a liquor store until two in the morning and a box boy, or butcher's apprentice at the Safeway across the store, street or the market. So it's the first time I never had a job for one month. So I became a broadcaster for the Pac-12 network they were getting me over. I was doing a third of their matches. I was doing up to 32 matches a season. They'd only do about eight volleyball matches for men because they'd only do, the only Pac-12 programs remaining in the Pac-12 were Stanford, SC, and UCLA. Cal had one a long time ago, but they dropped it because their athletic department is running uh, terrible deficits every year so they finally cut well they not finally they was one of the first to go they cut a lot of men's programs so um not many men but a lot of women's programs and and the women have come so far when i first started watching the women play they they weren't even blocking over the net when i'd go to the ncaa so i went every year and now the the techniques are just like the men's they're all the same so I, I enjoyed my stand as a Pac-12 announcer, and I did it up until I, 2018 when 
when I got third stage uh, malignant melanoma in my leg and lymph glands. I had to do a year of chemo, which just knocked me out. So I took a year off in 2018. And then uh, my mother passed in 2018 at 100 years old. And uh, I really didn't have to earn any money, you know, to help her in the home. So I, I just retired altogether now. So, so now I'm not working for the first time in my life. And uh, it's interesting. I, I'm actually just playing golf every day. <laughs> I have two different groups, Monday through Friday. Then I usually swim 50 laps on the weekend for exercise. I'm strong enough now so I can walk the course again on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I was walking the course every day before the chemo. There's no reason I, I can't get back to that eventually, I think. I might start trying to do a little more. Uh, so I, I get a lot more time with Sue. And Sue's, a, my wife's a very good bridge player. But lately we've started playing chess every day at 4 o'clock. That's also martini hour for me. <laughs> Does that affect your chess game at all, Al? <laughs> well, if I had more than one, it would have definitely, but... Uh, <laughs> I'm not, it probably does. I know she does better. Sometimes she doesn't drink, have a drink. And uh, she seems to uh, get a little better against me on those days. But uh, she'll occasionally have a glass of wine while I'm having a martini. And then, uh, you know, there's, I've, I've got a grandson that we watch in his various uh, events, uh, like Sunday swim meets. He's 11. He just went through a, uh, uh, 10 week junior lifeguard program where they down at State Beach in Santa Monica where I used to play volleyball every day for uh, three hours a most improved junior lifeguard passed the test well you have to take a test even to get into the program so he's a pretty good swimmer and uh, then we'll watch him play flag football and uh, soccer you know whatever he's he had a, he's on a volleyball team too. And I'd take him over to the park and we practice serving across the street from my house. And he could, you know, it's hard for a kid that age to serve over a 30, a 30 foot court. I used to, when I taught kids how to serve, I'd, I'd let them stand as close as they needed to be to serve over the net, the little kids. And then I'd move them back as they were successful. That's the way I was taught them. But, uh, you know, he can serve over the net, so it's okay, but some of the kids on his team can't, so it's a shame they don't adapt the rules a little bit for those kids that aren't strong enough. But anyway, um, so we keep track of what he's doing. I have a brunch every Sunday with our son David and our, our uh, daughter Leslie and our grandson Donovan. We try to, to visit our grandchildren in... Uh, Phoenix every once in a while. Uh, Tara just got a job as a full-time teacher in Phoenix, graduated from uh, University of Arizona in four years. So she's teaching full-time, which is pretty good, getting a credential and a teaching degree in four years. That's nice. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah. Our other daughter, Tracy's a professional speaker. Uh, so she's flies all over the country and, and uh, delivers seminars and she's coming down to visit with us though 
next month she comes down when she can and so we spend some time with with her so you know we have dinner with our friends uh we just went to uh one of my one of our friends uh had a his, his 93rd birthday party and uh he was on the front page of the la times sports then uh sports page the other day and uh, they interviewed me about it. He was playing the maracas at his party. Went to Victorio's in North Hollywood. <laughs> he was up there playing the maracas with the band. And uh, we got another party. Sue's birthday is October 7th. We're going out with some friends, celebrate her party. So we're, we're just visiting, visiting people we like. And uh, occasionally we'll go down and go to the Milango Casino down in Palm Springs for a night. And we've had some great vacations. We went to uh, New England to see the fall foliage and uh, went to Burns' house when he was working on uh, the Roosevelt, thought it was eight years ago, when we, we just uh, retired. Benny Wang, one of my former players, raised 10 grand to give us a nice vacation. So we thank Benny and all the people who contributed to that one. Then we took a little cruise down the Rhine from Germany to Romania and uh, visited all the great cities there along the riverbank. And uh, last year we went to Alaska. It was a great time up there. I saw the glaciers uh, breaking off and crashing in the ocean. And it went and mined some gold and all that stuff. Every year we go to Bruin Woods up in Lake Arrowhead and. Let's see, this year we took our daughter Leslie, son Donovan, and grandson, I mean son David, grandson Donovan. But sometimes we took Leslie's whole family. We took her husband, all three kids, and her. We used to take Tracy when she was... We took all our kids up there when they were younger, but now we're taking the grandkids up there. So we do that. We've been doing that every summer. I don't know. It seems like enough things to do. I play with eight guys on, two, eight to twelve guys on Tuesdays and Thursdays. The same guys, and the same uh, two guys every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then we have a room for visitors like Miles Paps, one of the great volleyball players. I had a chance the coach is coming out and playing with us five days, with me anyway, five days next week from Oklahoma, and then I. Reunited with Doug Danovic, who just coached, uh, he coached six NCAA championship teams for the women. I'm playing with him on, he joins our group on Tuesdays and Thursdays, so I get to see him still. And then Sinjin will pop in once in a while. So, yeah, that's about it, you know. Yeah, well, sounds good. Uh, Sounds like there's no grass or moss, as the saying goes, growing under your feet, you're keeping busy and have a good full life so that's uh great to hear yeah oh and then of course i have to go out and smoke a cigar and read the wall street journal the la times and the daily news that's how long it takes me to smoke smoke one of those big cigars (laughs) after god (laughs) and then greg harsimovich pops in on fridays we have a little tequila and a cigar and play some serious jazz so we do that <laughs> he was my last coach I ever hired. Wow. Yeah. Good friend. This concludes part six 
in the final part of our interview with UCLA men's coach Al Skates. Thanks so much for tuning in for it. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Never in my wildest dreams did I think I'd get to interview the guy that I always wished that I could play for growing up in Wisconsin and coming out of high school in 1991. Nonetheless, we got to live vicariously through Jeff Nygaard. So this was uh, a nice consolation prize for me, to say the least. Keep in mind that we do have a website, godstoghosts.com. We have a Facebook page, which is Gods to Ghosts Volleyball. And we have an email. If you have questions, recommendations for future interviews, or also recommendations for things that maybe we should ask our future interviewees or legends, gods, and goddesses of the game that you think we should interview for future podcasts, I'm always open to hearing about that. And you can reach me at the following email, gods to ghosts vb at gmail.com that's g-o-d-s-t-o-g-h-o-s-t-s v is in volley b is in ball at gmail.com thanks so much we look forward to sharing more information with you in interviews in the future take care